base. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no one has gone before. Trekkies and Trekkers around the globe. It is Thursday, May 18, 2023. It is 7.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Savings Time. Welcome to Trek Talking, episode 531. This is a special comic corner. We're going to be talking about Strange New World, issue number four. Uh-oh. Oh, it sounds like Jim gone the, through a wormhole. We got the camp. <laughs> yeah. Jim is at camp. Excellent. And his internet connection is dubious at best. <laughs> and we, you know, it, it's so funny, friends, because uh, during the the warm-up when we were waiting to, to go live, uh, we were complimenting Jim on how clear his connection was. <laughs> <laughs> Note to all of us to never do that again, because clearly we jinxed it. And so now Jim is like uh, in some kind of swamp water vortex. So, dang. Uh, he actually got booted well, offline, so it's going to be interesting because we certainly can't cue any sound or anything right now. Uh, but uh, we can certainly. Are you saying we can go without clips? We don't I'm have to have saying, clips? It's awesome. We are clipless, and, you, and we, the three of us, literally have the reins right now. So, uh, so let's do well, it. Let's go. You wanna, why don't you take the helm there, uh, Big E, and go around, and uh, we'll just all introduce ourselves and uh, start this, uh, get this, uh, light this candle. Well, welcome, welcome, everybody, to Trek Talking. We're happy to have you here with us. Uh, we are here, of course, every single week on Thursday evenings at 7.30 Eastern, 4.30 on the West Coast. We always like to mention that since much of our team is on the West Coast. And we have, a ton, and we have a ton of support from fans like you guys. Uh, we have over 112,000 likes on our Facebook page right now with over 141,000 followers. And our podcast has been downloaded 124,000 times. And the easiest way to download our podcast or to just listen is to just go to trektalking.com and you can see links that you can follow. You can see photos that you can look at. You can go back to our through our 500 and something podcast and listen to every single one if you like. Um, it's really cool. Uh, Jim did a good job setting up that website. 
But that's enough about the podcast. Let's talk about the Trexperts. First, I'd like to say hello this week to my fellow man in Portland, Paul. How you doing, Paul? I'm doing good, man. It's It's been a good week. Uh, a lot of uh, stuff is getting taken care of. And so uh, there's a little bit more of an unfettered vibe, which I'm quite fond of. But uh, things are good, man. It's starting to feel like uh, we're actually got a toe into summer here in terms of the, the mood for things. So enjoying it immensely. So uh, things bode well. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, I got to say I'm loving the warm weather here in Portland as well myself. But usually we head down to the southwest for warm weather. Charles, uh, what's that like for you right now? Uh, we're probably about mid-90s. We're getting a bit of our early summer hitting us, even though we did have some unexpected rainstorms pass through us yesterday. It's like, gee, it's not a little early for monsoon season. But been busy here. We're kind of getting ready to shut school down for the regular session and then start prepping prepping ourselves for a little bit of summer school and on a little, little bit of a vacation after that. The transition to summer has started. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I, of course, am uh, Eric, also hailing from Portland, and I believe we may even have Uncle Jim back. Uncle Jim, are you back with us now? Yes, this is this is live, so this is what happens when I broadcast from camp. My neighbor turned on their blender and kicked me off. <laughs> I love it. Just just hope they don't use the bidet, Jim, because God only knows what will <laughs> Oh, my God, there will be in big trouble. Well, Jim, oh, we've, gone, yeah, we've gone around yeah. the room, and, and we've plugged our website and plugged our Facebook page up to now just to catch you up. <laughs> well, I just – I wanted to let everybody know that we've got a pretty busy couple of shows going on here. We're going into Strange New World Season 2, which will start on June 15th. But in the meantime, we've got tonight's show, which we're going to be talking about Strange New World uh, Episode 3 and 4 of the Illyrium Enigma. But, but on June 1st, which is yours truly's birthday, for my birthday bash, we're going to have Laura Banks. The Wrath of Blonde on the podcast live talk about her new book, her affair she had with William Shatner, uh, what went on behind the scenes of The Wrath of Khan. It's going to be a lot of fun. That's going to be on June 1st. But wait, there's more. On June 8th, we're going to have Chris Naylor on the podcast, and Chris is a stuntman for uh, Captain Shaw and Captain Riker on Star Trek Picard Season 3. He was also in every single episode of Picard Season 3. In fact, uh, he was the Ferengi that Worf killed uh, in, in one of the episodes. So he's been in all the episodes. He's a diehard Star Trek fan, and he'll be on with us on June 8th. And then on June 15th, when Strange New Worlds premieres, we're going to be talking about the novel High Ground, which is a Strange New Worlds book. And then the following week, we'll pick up with Strange New Worlds reviews of every episode so that's what's going on with the podcast we're going to be pretty busy Phew. that was exhausting but <laughs> as, it sounds awesome as if, <laughs> as if that's not enough um i'm on my way down to trek long island which is going to be a lot of fun and i'm going to be doing a couple of panels uh saturday at 10 o'clock in ballroom c i'll be doing 
podcasters unite. Uh, I get to meet Roy from Roy's Tie-Dye Sci-Fi Corner, which is pretty cool. Sci-Fi Sisters will be there, a couple of others. And then immediately following that at 11 o'clock, same ballroom, I'll be doing a Star Trek V, The Final Frontier uh, panel called Star Trek V Revisited, I Feel Your Pain. So I'm going to tell everybody why Star Trek V is the best Star Trek movie ever. You don't want to miss that. And then at 8 o'clock on Saturday night in Ballroom C, I'll be doing a panel about Michael Burnham, a modern Starfleet captain. And that wraps up my Saturday. And then Sunday at 11 o'clock in Ballroom A on the main stage, I will be on stage with General Martok himself, the House of Martok. And J.G. Hurtler will be on stage with me. And we'll be talking Klingon. We'll be having some fun. We'll take some Q&A from the fans. And we're going to raffle off a batlet, which was donated by the House of Klingon. It's an actual uh, handmade metal batlet. The blade is dulled, of course. And he will autograph that to the winner of the auction. So that's what I'm going to be up to this weekend. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Before we get started, though... Uh, we do have a caller on the line, and let me see if, if I can get him to answer. Hey, good evening. Thank you for calling Trek Talk, and what's your name and where are you calling from tonight? Kapla. Ray, Kapla. what's happening, buddy? No, we got to talk. We got to talk. <laughs> we Preach, yo, Preach. Yo, yo, when you said... So you're going to do the Gage New World today? We, yo, I'm going to be on this live for an hour and a half with y'all, okay? I'm going to join y'all on this quest. Yo, yo, I got me a lot of questions about this. Yo, the, Uncle Jim, I say one more yeah. time, thank you for the, uh, yo, 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 the, the, the blue way. Yo, I just finished watching, I just finished watching last night, and then last night was the season finale, and that, and yo, and that, yo, I, I, had to, I had to watch that joke twice. Cause I was like, what, I'm like, I was like, what's going on? I'm like, I, I, I didn't want to move anybody. So, yo, that was the most excellent thing to towards the end. We, yo, we, yo, which was a good cliffhanger. That that was a good one. That 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 yeah, one was no, really that was good. That was, I, I did not expect that. I'm glad that you got the Blu-rays and that you enjoyed them, Ray. I'm very, very happy. Yo, you know what did? You know what You made more. Let's say I watched it on Saturday, right? But you know, the Wizard Days where I had to do something else. So I watched it like um, on the Sunday. You know, we we come, we you know, Sunday Day. So I watched it Monday. And I watch it Tuesday. I do like one episode per day, right? So I finished watching it last night, and I say to myself, "Yo, I had to watch this thing twice." And then the wild thing about it was, I mean, it, the extras they were doing the original Battle of Terror on the extras. I was shocked. Yeah, was they shocked. they did a good job with that that Balance of Terror episode. They did a really good job. I'm in, now. I'm waiting for season two right now. Now I'm open. Well, June fifteenth is the new season. We'll, we'll premiere. I, 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 listen, Uncle Jim. I wake got my, I wake got my calendar marked on that day. <laughs> I'm not playing. I'm not playing anymore. Cause like I said, this like I said, like you know, like you know, you kind of fight. Yo, know, that was a good behind the series, though. I can't front. You know why? Because a lot of things 
you know, like, you know what I'm saying, before Crump was there, there's a lot of things that I, I didn't realize. I didn't re- realize. I didn't, I didn't realize. I'm, I'm, I'm very, very happy that you that you liked them, that you enjoyed it, and that that last episode, they, I forgot the title of it, but it was it was a Balance of Terror uh, alternate universe. Yeah, alternate, yeah, alternate, the alternate, yeah, 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 the alternate, you know, because because I kept it right, and I think the women, they came the same way, and I think that's Balance of Terror. Oh, let me see, hold on a minute. Wait a minute, 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 no, I like that one, and I love the one with um with Spock and uh Prince Trey Placement called Spock oh. Moore. Yeah, that was a good one too. Spock and and, and, and the other one I like is the um what that the Alachi Kingdom with McBingo, you know, you know with his daughter. But all true, I cried at that part. I cried at the end of that part. I, don't ask me why. I'm, I'm I cried in that part. A lot of good stuff on there, Ray. A lot of good stuff. You, you kidding me? You kidding me? <laughs> so listen, guys. I, I'm gonna. Uh, you, you right? I'm gonna. I'm gonna be with y'all. You know me. I'm. I'm. I'm a call again. I'm a call again. You know what I'm saying? And I'll be with you the whole night. All right. We'll be awesome. here, Ray. Only four weeks right, until I, Strange New World like season two. Yep. Uh, yo, I'm. 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 I'm waiting for. I told you. Like clipping at the end, that got me was a, a good on cliffhanger. Now I mean, I mean, right now, now, now I gotta think what's gonna happen to um. I gotta think what's gonna happen. So, and, 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 and another thing, my man, oh my god, I love that Dorian uh, engineer, and I cried that part too. Mm-hmm. I could not expect it yeah. to happen. I did not expect it. I did not expect it to happen. Hammer, I like Hammer too. I like Hammer he was too. My Words. So listen, you guys, go, guys, go, 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 go on your program. I'm a super chat the whole night. Okay. All right. All right, Ray. We'll okay. be here. Take care. All man. right. I'm gonna call again. Okay. I, I, okay. I'm gonna call. I'm gonna call again. You know. Let's see what's up. I'm gonna call again. All right. Thanks, Ray. Talk to you later, Thank buddy. You All right. You too. All right. Bye. Right. I'll be here. I'll be here. I ain't going nowhere. Uh, we'll be here too. <laughs> I'm going to work so guys, too. that was Ray. Ray is down in the Bronx, down in New York City, and uh, he got himself a copy of Strange New Worlds on Blu-ray, season one, just for being a fan of the show. And uh, that's the kind of things we like to do for our fans. So, uh, congratulations to Ray. All right, guys. So uh, we've done our introductions. We talked to Ray, and now it's time for our fan shout-outs. And all you got to do to get mentioned in a fan shout-out is go to our Facebook page, and you'll see a pin page, a post at the top. Tell us where you're from. If you see a heart next to your name from your gym, then you'll be mentioned in a future fan shout-out. So, Eric, you want to get us started? I absolutely do. Our very first fan shout-out this week goes out to Angela Stevenson, who's saying hello to us from Newcastle upon Tyne in England. 
Is that where the beer comes from? I'm not even sure, but Angela, uh, my ignorance is probably your pleasure with the place in which you live, I would imagine. Thank you so much for supporting us over there in England. We really, really appreciate it. Live long and prosper to you. Also, hello this week to Fatima Vale Gomez, who's saying hello to us from Brazil. Brazil, what is that, that big old country there in South America. Looks amazing. Would love to go there. Fatima, thank you so much for supporting us just down south. And then we'll head back across the Atlantic and say hello to Jeff Hunter. No relation. Belfast, Northern Ireland. Jeff Hunter, thank you so much for supporting us from beautiful, beautiful Ireland. So many things to like about that country, including your whiskey. It's delicious. Top fan Martin <laughs> and top fan Martin Edward Card is saying hello to us from Melbourne, Australia, but born in the UK. So that's uh, pretty cool because Martin's a top fan, and a top fan means that Martin interacts with us a ton on our Facebook page, and we always really appreciate that support. Martin, thank you so much for supporting us down in Australia. Charles, I know you want to bring it back stateside. I sure will. Let's try Orton Harley from Felt, Oklahoma. Welcome. Marianne Phillips from Illinois. Ah, home of great mistakes, Illinois. Few military, few Navy people will get that joke. James Meyer from Central Texas. How's the weather down there? John D. John D. Hiller from Cape Breton, Nova Scotia, Canada. David. Dave's not here. How about Paul? All right, so tonight's performance, the part of David, will be played by Paul. We'd like to say hello, Kapla, and how the heck are you to fan Billy Register in the state of North Carolina. Thanks for interacting with us, Billy. It's good to hear from you. I hope you are doing well. Also, uh, a little bit further inward, we have top fan Martha Gobrick, who is in the state of Wisconsin. And as Eric said, top fan means that you are busy checking in with us on our Facebook page a whole bunch. So thanks, Martha, and thanks for being a fan of Star Trek. Uh, in Prince George County, Virginia, we've got Michael Booker Sr. Hope he's going to have all kinds of fan enthusiasm radiating from Michael Booker Sr. there. So we have definitely got somebody who loves Star Trek. And... Uh, Originally from uh, Oklahoma, currently residing in Indiana, we have Tomikia Dinham uh, oh. saying hello to us. Great to hear from you. And just a few more. We're going to say uh, farewell to the domestic shores of America and move on to fans who live elsewhere. Uh, first of all, I'd like to say uh, hello to H.S. Uh, Kyer who is uh, checking in with us from the Palatinate in Germany. It's a historical region there. Uh, before World War II, uh, the Palatinate used to be referred to as uh, Rhenish Bavaria. So it goes all the way back to the Holy Roman Empire. But now well, we just say uh, the Palatinate. So uh, HS, wonderful to hear from you. You live in a magnificent part of the world. I'd like to also send a special greeting to uh, Fukti Farno. Uh, Pukti, you live in a place near to my heart where a lot of my family uh, sprang from in Birmingham, England. So uh, I am due to get back there for a visit here one of these days. Overdue is more like it, Pukti. So uh, thanks for being a fan and showing us that uh, the U.K. is uh, ripe with Star Trek enthusiasm. 
And a little bit further north of Fookie's location, it is Martin Cannon uh, waving the flag and the uh, Live Long and Prosper sign from the great land of Scotland. From the great land of Scotland, where Martin resides. Martin Cannon, it is great to hear from you. Live long and prosper. Boy, do I want to come visit Scotland. That's high on my list of places that I need to go to. And another top fan for me uh, from the magical uh, region off the coast of China, Macau. Amazing. And we're getting a greeting there from fan Pedro Lobo in Macau. Pretty wild place to hang your hat. It's been nicknamed the Las Vegas of Asia. It has some really striking landmarks. Check out the Macau Tower if you've never seen it. Oh my goodness. It is pretty wild. Uh, A real uh, melange of different cultural influences there and a pretty exciting place to live. Naturally, that's where an enthusiastic Star Trek fan would hang their hat. Isn't that right, Uncle Jim? Absolutely, and I've got some really awesome Star Trek fans here right in the United States that I want to say hello to and thank you. First, we'll start off with uh, Dave Rudden, who says, I'm a Trekkie. I'm not a, I'm sorry, I'm not a Trekkie. I'm a Trekker from New York City. We had this conversation a little at the beginning of the show, uh, Trekkie versus Trekker. Who knows? But Dave prefers to be a Trekker. So thank you for listening to Dave the Trekker from New York City. You know, Jim, in the same way that we all respect uh, any pronoun that anybody wants to use on this podcast, so do we respect people's right to say Trekkie or Trekker. That's right. Yep. Whatever whatever (laughs) you want, Dave, that's what you get. (laughs) So Dave the Trekker from New York City. Uh, we also want to yeah, whatever whatever uh, floats your uh, floats your uh, nacelles, right? You know, that's, that's how you got to do it. <laughs> yeah, whatever, yeah, whatever you keeps know. your ample nacelles uh, engorged, that's what we'll do. <laughs> exactly. Whatever helps you defy gravity in your own unique way, that's what you should do, man. Exactly. I do well, kind of feel like old uh, like old school fans hang on to Trekkie, right? Because that's originally what folks were called back in the early days, right? From, you know, those of us who, you know, from the Jurassic period remember, right? It's just because Trekkie was like the first fan name. That, 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 uh, and then folks say, well, hold on, I want to be this. And, right, we found that that was just a sign that, wow, this is not just a, a fan community. It's a massive cultural uh, Phenomenon where when the fans are actually separating themselves out and creating different identities, that's, that's a sign that, what am I hearing? Uh, it's a sign that you got something pretty unique going on, right? Would you not agree, Fred? Absolutely. Well, here's my two cents on that Trekkie versus Trekker thing is this came out. You had original fans, which were Trekkies. And then you and then you had the new fans that were fans of TNG. And when TNG came out, the TOS fans hated TNG with a passion. And so you had this rift. You had Trekkies, which were old school fans, Trekkers, which were new school fans back in the 80s. And so, you know, I always identified as a Trekkie because I'm a Star Trek fan. I didn't take the vernacular of, Trekker, because to me there really was no difference. But uh, in my world, that's where the difference started. And I don't think it lasted beyond TNG because 
I don't recall DS9 fans coming up with a different name and Voyager fans coming up with a different name and Enterprise fans coming up with a different name. I think it was it was just because TNG was the first one and fans wanted to distinguish themselves between which one they were fans of. But, yeah, I don't really care. It's all Star Trek to me. But I'm a, I want to be a Trekkie because I'm an original. I'm here for the long haul. But, anyways, back to our birthday. Or, I mean, our fan shout-outs. We haven't gotten to our birthday yet. We want to say kapla to Edwin DiPietro, who's listening in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, USA. Thank you for tuning in, Edward. We appreciate it. We also want to say kapla to Tina Brett Spring, who's listening to us in Virginia, USA. And last but not least, we want to say kapla and thank you to Sarah Wilkins, who's listening in New Hampshire and waving the American flag. Thank you so much, each and every one of you guys. We couldn't do the show without you. We would never do the show without you because without you guys, we'd have no show. And uh, now it's time for Star Trek birthdays. Klingon song. Nope, it wasn't, but we like it anyway. All right, guys. So this is the part of the show where we do our Star Trek birthdays, and uh, we always like to start off our Star Trek birthdays by remembering those members of our Star Trek family who, sadly enough, are no longer with us. And for that, we turn to Eric. Yeah, Jim, uh, this week we have seven members of our Star Trek community we're going to be remembering. Uh, the first to have a birthday this week would be Kay Elliott. Actress Kay Elliott would have had a birthday May 14th, and she was the actress who played the android replicas of Stella Mudd. Hardcore in the Star Trek original season, original series, second season episode, I, Mud Cracks me up. I love that character. Um, she was born in 1969, and oh my gosh, we've got some sort of Star Trek theme going on in the background. Thank you. <laughs> she was born in 1929 in the heart of the Great Depression in Illinois, and uh, that's pretty wild. Um, I can't even imagine being born, uh, you know, back at that time. She didn't have uh, too many things, uh, you know, big things that she did in her career. She did do several guest appearances. She was on The Man from UNCLE. Um, she was later seen in multiple episodes of Bewitched. And she did uh, star in just uh, a couple of films. Her only known film credits are the 1973 horror movie The Severed Arm, along with Paul Carr, and the 1979 comedy Gas Pump Girls. So Kay Elliott, uh, unfortunately we lost her way too early uh, at a young age of 53 years old. Kay Elliott, we do miss you. Happy birthday and lots of love and remembrances going out to you. Happy birthday as well to actor Barry Atwater. Barry Atwater was the actor who originated the role of Surak in the TOS third season episode, The Savage Curtain. Uh, Barry was a tall, sinewy, rather hard-faced character actor, uh, ideally suited to play tough cops, gunslingers, and even a couple of zombies along the way. Um, Before he got into acting, he taught recording and mixing techniques at UCLA in the late 40s and 
early 50s, and that actually led to his acting career. Uh, he did lots and lots of guest appearances, including all the ones that you've heard about from that time period, like Gunsmoke, Twilight Zone, Perry Mason, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, Mission Impossible. And then in 1971, he had a role in the TV movie Vanished. And the following year, he appeared in the well-known TV movie Kolchak the Night Stalker as the vampire Janos Skorzeny. So Barry Atwater uh, might look like a zombie, might look like a gunslinger, might look like a vampire to you, but he was one heck of a Serac. Thank you so much for your contributions to the Star Trek franchise, Barry. Happy birthday. Happy birthday as well to Yvonne Craig. Yvonne Joyce Craig was the actress and former ballerina from Taylorville, Illinois, who appeared as Marta in the TOS third season episode, Whom Gods Destroy. Uh, you know her. I know you know her. Yvonne Craig not only was in Star Trek, but her probably most famous role was as Batgirl in the 1968 to 19 or 1967 to 1968 season of Batman. Uh, Star Trek came after that. In 1964, however, she was considered for the role of Vina for the first Star Trek pilot, The Cage, mostly due to her dancing skills. Uh, of course, the role eventually went to Susan Oliver. And among her several other television appearances was a guest spot on an episode of Fantasy Island and a guest starring as a time-traveling alien in The Land of Giants. She was also in a couple of films here and there, 1959's Gidget and the Gene Krupka story, uh, but uh, another interesting fact about her was that in the early 60s, she was actually Elvis's girlfriend and co-starred with him in two films, including It Happened at the World's Fair and Kissin' Cousins. She later retired from acting and went into real estate uh, and unfortunately passed away back in 2015. So Yvonne Joyce Craig, beautiful woman, beautiful role. Um, thank you so much for your contributions to Star Trek and happy birthday. And I love Batman and Batgirl was awesome. <laughs> Uh, happy birthday as well to actor Liam Sullivan. Uh, he was the actor who played Parman in the TOS third season episode, Plato's Stepchildren. Uh, Sullivan, of course, started way back in the day studying drama at Harvard. Uh, he had rather, people consider Romanesque features, that strong nose, that forehead, uh, and a very even modulated voice that uh, got him a lot of roles as roguish, arrogant, or cynical gents adept at, uh, you know, witty repartee. <laughs> uh, he was a familiar presence across all genres. He was in westerns, uh, science fiction, dramas, uh, guest appearing in lots and lots and lots of shows all over the place. The Fugitive, A Man from Uncle, Starsky and Hutch. You get into the 80s, he was in Magnum P.I., Dynasty A-Team, St. Elsewhere, etc. Um, not a lot of movies, but like a hundred guest appearances, he did do a 1962 fantasy called The Magic Sword, in which he co-starred with Gary Lockwood, um, and he has a pretty cool legacy, too. During the latter stages of his life, Liam combined acting and writing, and just prior to his death, was working on a novel. He was also in the process of compiling a biographical history of the Eli Bridge Company, who built the innovative Big Eli Ferris Wheel in Jacksonville, Illinois, in May 1900. Uh, and there's actually a foundation that carries on his work to this day. So Liam Sullivan uh, would have had a birthday this week. Harman, great character. Happy birthday, Liam, and remembrance is going out to you. Happy birthday as well to actor Eric Holland. He was born uh, with a very different name that I do not know how to pronounce, but uh, I would bet you that, uh, that Paul could do it. I think it's Olav Roger Urvegaard. 
he's Norwegian. That's why I'm not exactly sure, but I'm, I think that little O with the little line through it. I think you like just faked your way into the bar, buddy. <laughs> he played Ekor in the TOS third season episode. Perfectly done. Wink of an eye. Thank you so much. He enjoyed a long and fruitful career as a character actor. He's definitely somebody you would recognize. He's got that average man appearances, played all types of characters from soldiers to doctors to policemen, lawyers, good guys, villains. He's played everything. Um, Four-decade career beginning in 1962 with the sexed-up farcical detective program Surf Tide 77. Ooh, that sounds good. <laughs> that same decade, he also appeared in The Fugitive and The Man from Uncle. And then later in the 80s, kind of got into some more guest appearances. MacGyver, West Wing, Wonder Woman, Galactica 1980. Yeah, he was on Cheers, too. Though mainly a television actor, um, he has made uh, many film appearances, actually. Uh, he appeared in 1989's Ghostbusters 2, where he played the fire commissioner. He was in 1994's Stargate as Professor Langford, who discovered the Stargate. And James Cameron's blockbuster romance, 1997's Titanic, where he played Olaf Dahl, father of Helga Dahl. Um, in an episode of West Wing in 2001, he made his final credited appearance. Uh, so happy birthday and uh, lots of love to Eric Holland, who we lost just a couple of years ago back in 2020 at the ripe old age of 86 years old. Happy birthday as well to actress Elizabeth Rogers, aged 70 years old when we lost her back in 2004. She was the actress who played Lieutenant Palmer in the TOS second and third season episodes, Doomsday Machine and The Way to Eden. Uh, Elizabeth was born uh, in Texas, uh, Austin, uh, and she was a close friend of writer-producer-director Irwin Allen and appeared in many of his projects as a result, including uh, his series uh, The Time Tunnel. She was also on Land of the Giants, which was one of his. He also did movies, as we all know. So uh, she also appeared in The Poseidon Adventure in 1972 and The Towering Inferno in 1974. Oh, my gosh, so many good movies. She was the second female lead in Ron Howard's directorial debut in 1977, Grand Theft Auto, as well. And uh, she was in a bunch of other movies. She retired from acting after appearing in the 1986 Irwin Allen-produced TV movie, Outrage. Um, she really did live a secluded life with her husband, Eric Nelson, and uh, died in 2004 as a result of lung cancer and several strokes. So, Elizabeth Rogers, uh, we do miss you. Uh, thank you so much for your Star Trek contributions, and happy birthday to you. And our very final uh, or birthday uh, remembrance this week goes out to a uh, just such a great actor with so many uh, great parts uh, under his belt, Andreas Katsulas. Andreas Katsulas uh, is self-described on his official website as a cross between apple pie and baklava. <laughs> Best known for uh, Star Trek fans as playing the recurring character of the Romulan commander Tomalak in Star Trek The Next Generation. I love Tomalak. He's so cool. He appears four times throughout the show, but three of those are on the screen, and he actually 
uh, Andreas had a quote about that. He says, I felt much more comfortable when Tomalak was an incredible giant on the screen, just a face. Suddenly, when I had to account for everything, this is when you got to see his entire body, he didn't feel supported, and nothing uh, was supporting what he was doing. So he actually liked to just be that menacing face on the screen. He has a second Star Trek credit to his name. He also appeared as the Vissian Captain Drenick in Enterprise's second season episode, Cogenitor, which we've talked about a few times on the podcast. Um, he's also really well known in other science fiction communities as Ambassador Kagar on Babylon 5, which he played from 1994 to 1998. His most recognized film role is probably that of the murderous one-armed man in 1993's The Fugitive, based on that classic uh, series of the same name. And... Uh, he, got, he guest starred on numerous other television series, um, anything from Max Headroom to The Equalizer. He was on Alien Nation. Um, he was on Millennium. So lots and lots of cool shows. Unfortunately, he was a heavy smoker, and that's how we lost him. Uh, he had inoperable lung cancer and died just at, at age 59 years old, with his appearance on Star Trek Enterprise being his very last television appearance. So happy birthday and just lots of love and, and good memories of great characters going out to Andreas Katsulas. And that, you guys, wraps up our seven remembrances for this week. So I'm going to take this flaming birthday candle, which still has a lot of life, and pass it over to Charles. Okay, thank you, Eric. Let's start off with Jennifer Fedrick, who played Vosh TNG's third and fourth season episodes, Captain Holiday <coughs> and Cupid. She also appeared in DS9's first season episode, Cueless, where we found Cisco who punched Q. April Grace portrayed the transporter tech- technician Hubble in five episodes of the fourth and fifth season of Star Trek Next Generation. She reprised her role from Star Trek Deep Space Nine first season episode Emissary. She also appeared as Admiral Whitley for Card season two episode The Stargazer. Joseph Henley played Prometheus in Star Trek Enterprise's first season episode Old Front. Sam Anderson played the assistant manager of the hotel in the Star Trek Next Generation second season episode, The Royale. Etten Musket, actor, comedian, and writer who played Ensign Haddad in Star Trek Strange New Worlds first season episode, Strange New Worlds. I didn't go into a lot of detail of the different actors, only because a lot of them were day actors. They had a lot of just minor roles. Paul, who's on your list? Well, we got all kinds of folks celebrating birthdays here. You know, what with the Ready Room, we get a lot of attention paid towards Will Wheaton. Don't we, friends, from uh, Next Gen fame? Uh, Wesley Crusher, but what you may not know is that Will's sister, Amy Wheaton, is also part of the Star Trek universe because Amy Wheaton portrayed a character named Tara in the Star Trek The Next Generation first season episode, When the Bow Breaks. So go back and check that one out from season one. Amy Wheaton, 
you are continuing the sci-fi legacy in your family. So happy birthday, friend. Happy birthday also to actor Atticus Mitchell. Uh, he's an actor and musician who played Ensign Todd in the Strange New World's first season episode, Memento Mori. Another really good one there. Uh, a lot of good stuff happening in Strange New Worlds. We're going to be talking a little bit more about that later tonight. Cause it's going to be taking up a lot of our bandwidth in the coming weeks. <laughs> Happy birthday goes out to Lark Spies, who played Stout in the Star Trek Enterprise fourth season episode, The Forge, which I believe our friend Eric is a big fan of a particular episode. Love that episode. It's, a great, it's part of a great three-arc series, yep. Excellent. Yes, we're also gymnast stalagmites. See you're going to have to have the stalagmite stalactite conversation at some point here. Well, that one, that one, I got down, but it's serenite. One, one goes down, one goes up. So that's right. Well, let's just put it to bed, Paul. We know stalactites hang tight to the ceiling. And stalagmites. Everyone knows that then. Okay, good. Everybody knows that. I just wanted to make sure. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure. Thanks. I appreciate it. (laughs) Happy birthday also going out to uh, Ava Chung, a child actress who played the young La'an Noonien Singh in that Strange New World first season episode of Memento Mori and All Those Who Wonder. Had a couple of flashback visitations of La'an as a young person, and Ava Chung is the actress who embodied her then. Very, very cool. Hey, Oregonians, guess what? Uh, we have a Star Trek actor who's from Klamath Falls, Oregon, where, well, we don't live in Klamath Falls, but we're certainly all Oregonians here, regardless of where you hang your hat. But Brenda Bakke is an actress from Klamath Falls, Oregon, who played the role of Revon in the Star Trek Next Generation first season episode, Justice. We've got a lot of first season Next Gen appearances here this week. A lot of those folks celebrating birthdays, but it's not just back to the old school. We're also celebrating the new school. And with that, I would like to say a huge happy birthday to actor Riley Alazraki, who voices phenomenally awesome character Rock Talk on Star Trek Prodigy. Uh, a series I hope everybody is giving the time of day and that they are not making the mistake of saying, oh, that's a kid show. Uh, really tremendous stuff going on there, as we've talked about frequently. Riley Alazraki is a terrific uh, element on that show and takes a character whose personality and appearance are so different. And it's just it creates a real powerful uh, character uh, of acceptance and uh, diversity for everyone. And I think she she does a remarkable job. So always looking forward to more uh, Rock Talk appearances. Uh, And I should mention, uh, if anyone from our good friends at Playmates Toys, currently the only uh, member of Prodigy cast that hasn't been turned into an action figure yet there, friends. So let's get on it. (laughs) Enthusiastic Prodigy fans demand nothing less. And I'm sure Riley Alazraki would agree with me. And now I will take this gigantic ball of birthday ribbon and wrapping bunting and I'm going to toss it across the airlock to Uncle Jim. Well, thank you so much. I don't have a lot of birthdays. I only have four, but one of them is a Klingon. (laughs) Well, that's good. So the first birthday that we want to wish and send out is Bio Watson, 
who's a Canadian actress who played the adult version of May Ahern in the second season of Star Trek Discovery. She, for those of you who don't remember, uh, she was the little piece of mycelial uh, filament that landed on Tilly's shirt and became alive until he started seeing this reincarnation of her friend from elementary school. And that, that was played uh, by Canadian actress by your watch. And so happy birthday. We also want to say happy birthday to Alice Winterlund. She's an actress and comedian who voiced uh, the Melipore triplets in Star Trek Lower Decks third season episode, Crisis Point to Paradox. That's the one where I believe they did the two, 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 two train, right? I think. I think so. If I'm remembering. They were all excited because they added an extra two. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking the right answer. So. Mm-hmm. That was her. Uh, we also want to say happy birthday to Danielle Gravelli, who played Ensign Lance in the Star Trek Strange New World first season episode, Ghost of Alleria. And I think that's relevant because we're going to be talking about Illyrium in just a few minutes. So happy birthday to Danielle. And last but not least, I've got my Klingon of the week. We want to say kapla and uh, happy, happy birthday to David Figoli, who played the Klingon weapons officer in the Star Trek Enterprise second season episode, uh, The Expanse. And that, my friends, wraps up our Star Trek birthday. So, you know what that means. That means that one of my co-hosts because I'm at camp and don't have access to my comic book here. <laughs> One of my co-hosts is going to have to pick up issue number three. We got you, Jim. And, we got you. And start <laughs> with, I'd get started with it. So it I, sounds like it's going to be Eric. So, well, uh, all I right, Eric. There's yeah, issues three it. and four. Issues three and four are great, but maybe for those people who don't remember issues one and two, let's just do a quick recap. So, Strange New Worlds: The Illyrian Enigma is a four-issue series by IDW Comics, who of course has the Star Trek license these days. Um, it is uh, uniquely written by the team of Byer and Johnson, Kristen Byer and Mike Johnson, who, as you know, actually work on the show. So that makes it even more canon adjacent, I would say. We also have kind of fresh new art by a great artist here, Megan Levins, who's been doing the art for the entire series. And I don't remember her name coming up in a recent Star Trek series that we've reviewed. So that's been kind of a cool thing to see a fresh take on some of these characters. Colors by Charlie Kirchhoff. Uh, and we know, we all know uh, Neil Uyutaki, who does the lettering for like every single IDW book, pretty much. But the story of this one is that post season one, uh, Strange New Worlds, you will probably remember that uh, Una is detained because she is discovered to be an Illyrian. And within the Federation, being an Illyrian is. I guess kind of illegal. Certainly genetic manipulation uh, is is illegal. And being that Una sort of uh, disguised herself as a human, pretended to be a human, um, she is 
she is taken by the folks at the Federation and um, you know put under guard. So our first couple of issues of this series kind of set that scenario up. There's a lot, uh, you know, the first half of the first issue is kind of like a bunch of the the crews sort of remembering what happened in season one, and then Pike decides to send his ship over to to Illyria, or, you know, he contacts somebody who he thinks is at Illyria, an Illyrian, and uh, gets into some shenanigans. So in those first couple of books, the, the Enterprise essentially goes to Illyria, gets trapped, but then makes a deal with the Illyrian guy, I forget what his name is, it's like Dal Cod or something like that, um, and they kind of make a deal to work together. Uh, because they both have effectively the same objective, which is recovering Una. Um, they, they're they both interested in, you know, not rescuing her because she's with the Federation, but just like extracting her or getting her away from this scenario, which they all feel is unfair. And um, part of the thing that kind of leads us into book three, where we're going to start uh, tonight, is that the Illyrian tells the captain that he essentially has to go um, to Illyria. And, and what they actually do is they abduct, they abduct Spock, essentially. The Illyrian abducts Spock. Illyria is a wasteland of acid air, and you know even a shuttle down there would get eaten up over time. And, but they need to retrieve something from this, this temple. And so they abduct Spock, and at the end of the second issue, you learn that Spock has been turned to stone, which is the living stone, stone that can move, uh, but a stone person that can now survive the, the, the rigors of Illyria and the, the nasty <laughs> environmental conditions that we find ourselves in. So that is all to say that's where we find ourselves in issue three. And uh, yeah, I've, I've probably talked enough for the setup. Paul, do you want to take over and kind of tell us just a little bit about this issue or maybe give us a first take on it? Yeah, issue three, right? Yeah, issue three. Yeah, you got happy to. So, yeah, here we are. We're basically on what is considered to be the uh, we've got kidnapped Spock. He's been turned into stone, which is a bizarre concept in and of itself, right? But he looks like a purple version of Dr. Manhattan from Watchmen, if you've ever read that comic or seen the movie, and he's been sent down there, and as Eric said, the planet is just like a complete wasteland. The idea would be if you were not a stone dude or without an environmental suit or something, you you would be dead in seconds. It's an incredibly hostile place. But it is not a complete wasteland because as soon as Spock gets there, he sees one structure and one structure only. It's one that has a very strong Vulcan look to it, except there are no records ever of Vulcans ever having been there on the Illyrian homeworld. So what is going on? And he gets a feeling that this is not just a tribute uh, obelisk or anything like that, that it's, that, it's, uh, that it's there as some kind of a warning. And the Illyrians up there on their ship trying to figure out what's going on because they sent him down there and they're like all nervous, but they don't really have any controls on it. And the main Illyrian guy is not, he's kind of a dick. I got to be honest. He's not so great. It's really hard to get behind him at all. So you're kind of like going, I hope that he made good choices turning Spock into a rock here. But uh, Spock goes into the temple as you would, because it's the only place that you have any uh, shelter on this wasteland. And the second he does, 
It's like something happens where he is mentally transported back into time millennia ago into some other consciousness on Illyria, where it looks like it's the disaster that's destroyed the planet isn't there. And he sees that he is now a Vulcan himself, okay, in past times, but not like Spock. He's like wearing ancient Vulcan garb, and he recognizes that he's a character named Scalan. Okay, and he's part of what looks to be like a diplomatic party of three Vulcans who are actually writing Silats. If you remember your yesteryear animated series uh, trivia there, and they're, that's how they come down for their first contact on their Silats, and they're meeting with the Illyrians. Uh, this is back in the old school of area before they became, you know, steeped in the behaviors that they have now, and they're meeting about everything and discussing what's going on there. And uh, they're already concerned that the air and the atmosphere of their planet is changing. And they, they, they feel that something is happening that's going to ultimately make the planet uninhabitable completely. Right? And so they're, they're hoping that the Vulcans can help them with that. Right? And so there's some discussion. And this uh, character that Spock is uh, inhabiting, if you will, or inhabited by, the Scalan, seems to be some kind of a scientist. And somehow he's created this method where uh, Spock can somehow relive everything that's in there. It's like he's almost having like a holodeck experience. Is that a good way of describing it? That's kind of what it feels like, right? Yeah. Except he's in yeah, that he's, body. He's like interacting. Yeah. With his, he's not just a passenger in the body. He's actually like in, in control of the body and doesn't really have all the knowledge that that body would necessarily yeah. have. So he's kind of faking and his way. He's kind of it. like, what am I doing? And I'm interacting with these people, and I'm just kind of rolling with it. And meanwhile, up on the Enterprise, uh, you know, Pike is really, you know, having a you know difficult time. He's uh, run into uh, Dakil the douchey uh, Illyrian guy again, and <laughs> just kind of having a little banter of words. And, well, you don't want me to come over there. I'll, you know, you won't <laughs> like it. And, well, I've sent, I've sent your first officer to the planet below. Yeah, well, your mother wears army shoes, you know. They're, they're really having a unpleasant conversation. It's going to go well. Uh, but it's clear that they've put Spock down on this planet, and Pike is not too happy about that, especially when they get a sense of how the environment is down there, right? Uh and so we're back with uh, Scalon slash Spock, right? And we're in there, and he says, it's a beautiful place, and they're trying to get more information. He says, the Illyrian guy who's in charge of the planet says, everything is being affected on a genetic level. And then very oddly, uh, we see that this uh, past Vulcan character of Scalon is wearing a crystal, a strange crystal around his neck, and all of a sudden that crystal just starts going nuts. It starts lighting up and, like, levitating away from his body. And he says, I don't know what this thing is doing. This is not my doing. I didn't do this. This is doing it on its own. As soon as they started talking about things being different genetically, all of a sudden that happens. Back on the Enterprise, they're detecting seismic activity. Right? And they can't find Spock to get a lock on him to beam him back up because he's inside that temple. Well, who's not good at waiting around for stuff to happen? Captain Christopher <laughs> Pike, that's who, right? So he's basically, get me a shuttlecraft ready. I don't care if I can only have five minutes on the planet's surface. I'm using that five minutes because I cannot stand the idea of losing another one of my crewmen. You know, he feels like he's lost too many already. What with uh, Una and now Spock, it's just, no, not going to happen. And, uh, 
So we're back again uh, on the Illyria, and we're there with Scalan trying to figure out what's going on. And he uh, goes to this one person who's there, and he goes, what family do I belong to on Vulcan? Where am I? What's my history? And all of a sudden, he starts to change, okay? And Scalan himself is starting to change. And he's trying to get information from the Illyrians about genetic codes and all these things, but now he's changing, and we realize what's happening is it seems to be that the change that made Spock into Scalan is ending, and he is morphing out of that identity and returning to his stone self that he was, right? So things are getting dicey quickly, and Spock didn't get nearly all as much information as he hoped hoped to before this change is happening. So Pike takes a shuttlecraft, and he rockets down there, Right. He says, you know, get your mortar and pestle ready, Mbega. You're going to need it. Right. And uh, bring him back something. I don't even know. And he runs down there. The planet is having all kinds of crazy seismic activity. Pike just gets out of the shuttlecraft to land in front of the temple area. And it's really not looking good at all. But then Spock staggers out of it in his uh, stone form. And he's collapsed onto the ground. But meanwhile, I mean, it looks like Pike's suit is already starting to erode from the acid in the atmosphere. This doesn't look good. And he is totally blown away to see what Spock looks like now. And it's like with his last breath, Spock says to Pike, the answers are on Vulcan. And he holds up that crystal that he initially just saw during the kind of psychic hologram transferred sequence where he was that other character. So now here they are, they're about to meet their doom on the planet's surface, and we now have this crystal, and we're getting a sense we need to go to Vulcan, and that's how issue three wraps up. Thoughts, gentlemen? Charles, what do you think? Ah. You can especially well tell when Spock was on the Illyria planet, the hollow image of the planet, how colorful it was, how peaceful the planet looked. Yet when you see him on the actual planet and just how, I guess a good term, dead the planet looks. It's a barren wasteland. We're surprised to even see this one statue there. But it's interesting choosing to make Spock this give Spock this invulnerability and shown to be able to survive on the plan on the planet. And Surak is one. We realize in this that this is pre-Surak, which means this goes before the Vulcans got hold and control of their inner emotions. So that the Vulcans he's meeting here, who are visiting this planet, are not the Vulcans Spock is used to. But it's interesting to see these Vulcans of early time 
and the explorations they're doing. And we learn a little bit more about those explorations in the fourth issue. You know, it's interesting, Charles, with regards to the Vulcan, you know, there's the one Vulcan who is smiling, not, um, not Scalan, but the, the, partner that he's with there um, yeah. she frequently smiles throughout the issue which I definitely noticed but yet the artist chooses to bring through some of the kind of typical Vulcan hand gestures like the way that they hold their hands together while they're being right. contemplative or that sort of thing so you get it you get like the Vulcan flavor but you're like wait a second why is she smiling <laughs> yeah. well we kind of realize these, these, are, these are ancient Vulcans and these have gone by a long period of time. But it's interesting to kind of question what's going on with them. But we also get a good feel of the crew. And there are times where you kind of look at the crew in here and it's like, oh, yes, Ahura. And me and the members and how they're worried about the pike and how dangerous it could go. Pike definitely were willing to risk his life for Spock. And it's interesting how the 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 crew probably forms together to help Pike and Spock with this. Overall, this was a this overall this book really got my attention. And made me want to wait for four. It's like, okay, something's going on. I want to know what's special about this crystal. Yeah, I mean, I I thought the writing was particularly good. Like the, it's interesting, you know. Whenever we talk about graphic novels, I feel like we're always you got like the writing on one side and you got the art on the other side, right? So on the on the writing side, I think the writing is excellent. I definitely read all of the characters in their own voices, which I think um, you know is not only a, a factor yeah. because I've seen the show, but it's like when you write the correct way, you will just naturally read what? it in those characters' voices. So, but when you do a good story you feel like you're watching an episode, not just reading a comic book. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's so good to, it's so good to be reading these books and feeling like you know these characters. They're not just characters in a book. You know these characters. Well, and, and it's you know? an in-between story, right? We know this is going to be wedged between seasons one and two, and yeah. and yet we are so interested in what's happening, right? Like, we know yeah. when we get to season two, likely Una's still going to be, I'm going to guess that she's still going to be under wraps, you know, maybe not right. uh, retrieved yet. So this was just kind of like a little story to fit in here. I will say, as excellent as the writing is, I, I love the detail and the way that Megan captures um, people's visages. I think she's excellent at drawing people. Um, there are some like mechanical things just with perspective and stuff like that in a couple of these books that is just a, a little bit off and as a person with a little bit of OCD <laughs> the, the off perspective bugs me a little bit but she's so good right. at capturing characters faces that I almost don't care but I just felt like I needed to mention that the art is it's imperfect it's very good it's very good it's just got a little couple of little things that are like whoa that looks a little weird 
<laughs> yeah. Can we have an asshole? Yeah, I, oh, I like Spock Talk. I thought Spock Talk was pretty cool. <laughs> Spock Talk. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not Rock Talk, it's Spock yeah, Talk. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I get it. <laughs> that works. Naked as a J. That works. Is, you know. <laughs> But well, I, and what's I, I interesting agree. is that like, I you don't the get... artwork was excellent. Yeah, go ahead, Jim. I was just going to mention that the guy in the statue that's on top of the the temple that Spock enters is the Skalon character. So I thought it was interesting that in some ways, even by issue four, they don't completely wrap up why there's a temple to this guy on this planet, but it's very clearly the same character, I think. Well, I think that... Like you guys said, the writing in, the, in these books is outstanding. It, it, it feels like an episode. And that's what I'm looking for when I, when I read these books. I, I, I don't like the ones where they're, like, ridiculous, but th- th- which this one's not. So I enjoyed it. I thought the artwork was outstanding. I like the colorization, too, the, the, the artwork jumps off the pages. Um, the colors are vibrant, and uh, it keeps you it keeps you entertained. Basically, you just want to see what's going on on the next page, and I think the the characters really feel like the characters. Like Pike is definitely Pike, for sure, and um, I really enjoyed that a lot. I think that having having Christian Byers and Mike Johnson involved in the comic book and the novels, which we're going to talk about one in a couple of weeks, really makes these things fit right into the Star Trek universe, which which I really, really like. So I, I enjoyed well, this this particular episode of uh, uh, book, issue number three. Well, as we talked with several people, unlike the previous eras, the generation right now, the people that are writing these comic books have access to the writer's room. They can sit there and base the book on what's actually going on, and they know some secrets to make sure they can keep the book and in, in sequence to what's going on with the series itself, which makes these better, better stories. I agree completely. And I think that's just making them flow much better with what we know is going on. And I want to talk about the Illyrians just a little bit. Um, a lot of fans skipped over Star Trek Enterprise, but if I remember correctly, there is a nod to Star Trek Enterprise in this series. Is there not? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, uh, we didn't really see too many Star uh, Illyrians until Star Trek Enterprise, and in this issue, they definitely mention back to the time, uh, it's either this issue or maybe it was, I think it was actually in issues one or two, one of those two issues, they mentioned, um, you know, the time of Jonathan Archer. Uh, unfortunately, for anybody who doesn't remember, uh, you'll remember that, or you may not remember, but <laughs> Jonathan Archer essentially uh, did wrong by the Illyrians. Uh, he had a sh- that had a warp core that wasn't working. And he typically came upon some Illyrians and stole their warp core so that he could get home, and it would take them weeks to get home. Um, so 
there were reasons, you know, you should watch uh, you should watch the Enterprise episode Damage if you want all of the details. But but yeah, uh, I would assume that it didn't actually leave a very good taste in the mouths of the Illyrians. Um, Jonathan Archer's actions there. I don't I don't know if that was in the comics. I know that was in the novel. I know the novel did talk about that. I, I remember I remember in a, a comment in the comic, but my point is that they're threading yeah. the Illyrians through everything. They're not just here's a new race and this is what's going on. They have a history. They've been in the background for a while, and we're just starting to see them, which I think is good. I, I enjoy that. They didn't just create something and say, oh, here it is. Um, but they are, you know, they have a history. They've been there starting with Enterprise, which I think is really good. A- anytime they can, can, you know, give Enterprise some kudos, I'm all for it. So I, I enjoyed that myself as well. And I think the Illyrium uh, dick dude there in the book, I think he... <laughs> I prefer douchebag, but that's just me. Douche. Douchebag, dick When someone's dude, really an asshat like that, and abducts your first officer without permission, you've kind of graduated from dick to douchebag. You really, you know, you really sort of earned that higher tip. If you will. Oh boy. The, but to kill. Isn't that isn't uh, that guy? He's to kill. If I remember correctly, I haven't seen the episode damaged in a while, but the artwork. Aren't they drawn like the alien, like they were drawn in, on Enterprise? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's what kind of like a native, quote, Illyrian, I think, looks like. I mean, we're going to get a little bit deeper into that in uh, issue number four here. But absolutely, the way that DeKill is drawn in this issue is spot on um, with the way that the Illyrian was drawn in damage. Yeah. Yeah, and I I don't know what their lifespan is, so I I, I think that 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 douchey dick is a different guy. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, the guy in the in Enterprise uh, wasn't even given a name. He just was. Well, the the guy. I mean, it was a whole ship of people, but they only interacted with one guy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think it was the same guy. I mean, it would be great if it was, because that would explain why he's the way he is. But I don't think that it is. You guys, I just I just looked it up again. This is how you want to talk about douchebag. This is how douchey Jonathan Archer was when he took their warp core. He did it knowing that it would mean that it would take them three years to get back to their own space. That's how. Well, have they done Archer something was. to justify that? I mean, have they treated no, him badly? No, like, no, like, no, did he like him. leave a bad smell in the Enterprise bathroom? Is there's, that why? What, what there's happened? actually, I love that episode for one of the for that very reason because I feel like that's a question I shouldn't answer, and you should watch it, and you should let us know what you think. I mean, I I don't think it was one of those like they deserved it because of Muck Muck Mao. It definitely wasn't that. So it wasn't like there was a massive justification. No, 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 no. It wasn't like punishing the bad guys or anything like that. No, okay. no, no. It was literally I'm like... i have to check that out. It's he on went my up list. To him. Yeah, the way it went, it was he went up to him. He said, can I have your warp core? They're like, no. He's like, okay. So they go. he goes away. And then he's like, you know what, guys? We really need a warp core. And so then he goes up to the Illyrians and he's like, can we have your warp core? And they're like, no. And they're like, okay, 
we're going to take your warp core. <laughs> well, I, I think I think it's even if I remember, I think it's even worse than that, Eric, because I think in this particular case that Archer was the Dicky douchebag. That's what I'm because saying. If I remember, he was the one. Didn't, didn't the Illyrium ship stop to help the Enterprise? He did. He did. Yeah, they stopped to help them, and then Archer Yoink. sent them over and said, "Sorry, dude, but you're douchey." Archer is about so to bad. strike hard. I mean, the one cool thing about it, I'll say, is that even though Jonathan Archer, not to get like too deep into this rabbit hole, but like from my perspective, one of the, the magical things about Enterprise is that you've got these people out there who don't know what the hell they're doing, right? You don't have like. Uh, you know, Jean-Luc Picard, who always makes the right decision, you know, in quotes, uh, every single time. Jonathan Archer is like, he is a cowboy. He is flying by the seat of his pants. He's not even sure if he's going to make it to next Tuesday. He's just trying to, like, <laughs> prove that Warp 5 engine is going to is gonna do what his dad said yeah. he was going to do. So, yeah. He's the Jimmy Buffett of Starfleet. Okay, got it. <laughs> Yeah, he's, that's, that's, that's well, he's a guy who like you know pretends his car is broken down on the side of the road, right? And when you pull over to help him, he like pulls out a gun and like oh. jacks your car. Nice. Uh, that's pretty much it. You got it. Yeah. Wow. Um, well, I, I definitely need to go check this episode out as soon as yeah. I'm done. It, it, it's a good episode because it raises <laughs> a lot of moral and ethical questions in that particular episode. It's a yeah. good one. But anyways. Cool. Back, back to douchey dickhead. I think that he gets his just desserts in the end. So, uh, so I enjoyed you... it. I thought the artwork was great. I enjoyed the story. I thought it, it moved at a really good pace. And I found that the pages were easy to follow. A lot, sometimes you got to – the flow of the page, you, you're, you're jumping around a lot. And you, you get confused. But um, the flow of the artwork and the panels – really were easy to follow. Um, I, I enjoyed it completely. I, I, I highly recommend issue three. What do you think, Paul? Sweet. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, it's, uh, I, I think I like the, the, it's such a weird, surreal thing uh, that they chose to do with Spock, right? Turning it into yeah. a stone creature. I mean, that's really odd. It's like one of those kind of, you know, surreal, you know, 70s paperback sci-fi things that you see, right? I mean, it's really trippy. And uh, it, it kind of works, right? And then he goes in this kind of hallucinogenic, you know, vision quest inside the temple, right? You know, no mushrooms were harmed in the making. Hold of on, that's next issue, issue, next issue, you know? <laughs> but uh, but uh, we're still talking three, right? Oh, yeah. No, that wasn't this issue. I'm sorry. You're right. You're right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so there's a the whole thing, right? And then, uh, and, and yeah, so it's 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 definitely interesting, you know, because it's like, you know, they're really it's like, kind of it's like, okay, Vulcan is a big thing. That's basically your takeaway here, right? We've been focused on the Illyrians, what's going on with them, but the real takeaway from this thing is you need to pay attention to the fact that Vulcan is super important in terms of the, you know, the backstory of Illyria, and we're going to find out a lot more about those. It is you four. Dun, dun, dun. So, yeah. Uh, any, uh, does anybody have anything else to say about issue three? Should we move on? Yeah. Who, who's going to do number four? 
Uh, well, I'm happy to take. I'm happy to keep going. So here we go. Uh, so issue Ooh, number four, same team, right? We got the same team for all four issues. So uh, same writing team, same artist. Um, this issue starts out with surprise, surprise. Spock's not stone anymore. Whew. Thank you, Doctor Mbenga. <laughs> Thank you, Nurse Chapel. Somehow they have magically turned Spock back into his normal self which uh, we all kind of knew was going to happen, but, um, but he's in sick bay, and uh, he wakes up to the kind of blurry face of, uh, of Nurse Chapel, which I just love given the kind of um, you know, sexual tension that they built with those two in season one. I just thought that was lovely. Uh, so uh, the team is there. We've got uh, Pike talking to Spock, saying, hey, Spock, uh, make sure that you get yourself uh, you know, healed up. Uh, we've got this crystal that apparently you have pulled over from the other side or something. I don't know. It was a little unclear on how that crystal – Souvenir. Did he, did he find the crystal in the temple, or did the crystal come from Scalon, or do you guys know? I think it came out of his stone butt. You know, that's what I, yeah, I – just like the issue comes, I had. So, so basically you – know. Spock pulls a, a crystal out of his butt that looks just like <laughs> the crystal from the past. <laughs> and this is the crystal that he now physically has, and somehow Pike has it now. And so he's showing it's very, it. It's uh, very uh, Fortress of Solitude Superman, the movie, right? It, it, well, it was. It was almost like I wondered if he had somehow like pulled it from the dream, like if there was some kind of like technology there of a manifest. I don't know. I, who knows? But uh, anyway, point is, the, the crystal that Scalon was wearing in issue number three is now in the hands of Pike, and everybody's feeling that it's probably an important thing, but they don't exactly know what to do with it yet. Um, back on the bridge, you know, Pike goes back up. He checks back in with the kill, uh, our resident uh, douchebag dude. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the kill is like, listen, dude, you took something off our home planet, this crystal. Um, it's ours. You should give it back. And Pike's like, yeah, I don't think so. You know what I'm going to do instead? I'm actually going to pull a turnabout thing here, and I'm going to beam you over to my ship the same way that you abducted me uh, back in uh, an earlier issue. So he pulls the kill over and then very quickly is like, uh, okay, you're not a prisoner, but listen, we need to work together. And the kill sort of automatically agrees to that. And that's kind of the moment when you know that things are going to work out because now we've got the Illyrian and the Enterprise folks working together. Team uh, Pike and DeKill goes and talks to Spock, who of course is the only one uh, that actually did go down on the planet. And Spock informs them that the, the, the answer is on Vulcan and that they need to go to Vulcan. So I think that's pretty cool, that tie-in. We kind of time lapse now we flip the page and now we are on Vulcan and uh DeKill and Spock and Pike go down to the planet um they go to this area that's kind of a out of the way place it's almost like a little farmstead sort of thing there's some plants growing and, and that kind of stuff and when they beam down there's this super super grumpy old lady Vulcan who I just absolutely love. She reminded me of like a character from Avatar, The Last Airbender, or something like that. Just like yeah, you know who she reminded me of, dude. Yeah, I don't know if you remember um, uh, the, the the episode, uh, but uh, Sins of the Father from Next Gen. She's oh, like yeah. A-list. 
Yes. Right? Yeah, she was yeah, the yeah. nursemaid for the House of Moog, and she's basically just got to the point that she's old enough that she doesn't give a shit what she says. She's just, you know, Not she's just like, her filter is gone, right? And she yep. totally reminded me of Kayleth. Yep. No, absolutely. And she's, she's a Vulcan, so uh, they go up to her and they're like, hey, listen, we got this crystal that uh, Spock pulled out of his butt. Do you know where it came from? And she says, well, mayhaps I know. And I love that she calls Spock Scock. She, <laughs> I think, intentionally misnames him, which is just hilarious. <laughs> and she goes back into her pile of junk, you know, because every old witch lady's got an old pile of junk back in the corner. And she goes back in her pile of junk in the corner. And she pulls out this thing that kind of looks like a shield almost. Um, and it's got this little receiver on the top. And everybody looks at it and goes, hmm. I wonder if this crystal would fit in the thing. So they put the crystal in the thing, and poof, they're all transported to another metaphysical realm. This one is kind of a white space, you know, a la THX 1138. You've got um, Scalan, the uh, Vulcan there, who says that he is there to actually give his testament. So it's almost like his, uh, you know, his thing that he left behind that he knew that people would need to find to understand what the heck was going on. And we find out... Really, I think this is kind of like the peak of the story, right? This is where your uh, your your story arc is at the top, right, Paul? We find out that, in fact, there's this weird genetic stuff happening on Illyria, and the Vulcans come to town, and they say, you know what, guys? We are going to help you. Uh, let's hook you up. And they start working on some, te- some technology, but unfortunately, the technology has unexpected results. And essentially what happens is the Vulcans – pretty much end up accelerating the destruction of the planet via genetic manipulation. They show this one panel, which I feel like probably should have been like a double page spread. If I was, you know, storyboarding this particular issue, I definitely would have made it much bigger and much more important. They show these monsters, almost like the um, Vulcans were inadvertently responsible for turning portions of the population into these monsters. Uh, Fascinating. What do the Vulcans do to yeah, fix it? Yeah, and they're like, they're, they're kind of like, everyone's kind of a jerk, right? Yeah, I mean, well, and that's know. the thing. Is they, 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 what do they do to fix it, Paul? They do nothing. They turn around yeah. and drive away. He goes, uh, we gathered our data and left the planet to its face. To its fate. What a nice scientist. Done. <laughs> a, a sentient, a, a planet full of sentient species. I mean, this is something that, like, you know, first contact era humans might have considered, but certainly nobody in the actual Federation would consider these days. So very interesting dichotomy between ancient Vulcans and current Vulcans. Um, so that's kind of our, our top of the story arc. There's a little bit of um, coming out of that that we do, and then eventually, you know, the group is poofed out of the meta space of talking with Scalon and back into the real world. And, um, you know, the, the, the kill, the Illyrian guy, he's... He's very upset because he kind of he, he, – among Illyrians, there has always been this idea that they are special, that their ability to manipulate their genetic um, structure is a, um, a skill unique to them that has caused them to be able to live in the diaspora that they do throughout the entire galaxy. What he finds out now is that it's – they're actually kind of a – you know the survivors of a failed Vulcan experiment and that there were a few Illyrians who made it off the planet that weren't turned into monsters and that these are the Illyrians from which all other Illyrians now come in the diaspora. So uh, 
absolutely devastating uh, point in the story and really, really opens up the canon, I think, for Illyrians and, and explains a lot of stuff that we didn't know before. The book essentially closes out with the, um, the Enterprise going home, Pike checking back in with April, April saying, you know what, dude, I knew you were going to go. Um, I hope everything's good. <laughs> um, and then uh, some of the lower, not lower deckers, but just the uh, more minor crew kind of say goodbye to each other uh, in the end. Um, and toast. So, uh, overall, man, I loved the way that personally this book actually finished up. I loved the big climax of kind of finding out how the Vulcans were involved in the whole Illyrian story. And to me, it was a it was a fun like like I said, opening of the canon of Illyrians. Right, we had just little taste of them here and there, and we get a little bit in season one on Una, but. We hadn't really learned too much about their society or their planet or where they came from or any of that kind of stuff. Similarly, Enterprise is really our only source for ancient Vulcans. So it was nice to touch both of those in book number four here, personally. What do you guys think? What's crazy, though, is the kill, right? He basically, you know, they're arguing about, you know, Spock and, and Pike are arguing about what's going to happen, da 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 You know, Illyrians Delir- uh, deserve respect, and we need to change and tell everybody, and... And the kill's like, no, I don't want anyone to know <laughs> at yeah. all, because this would change everyone's view of us, right? And it would change our view of ourselves, like you're saying, right? He goes, you know, our complete cultural identity would be completely undermined, and that we were just playthings for some other species, right? And so well, did that it's feel basically familiar his... to you? Because that felt very familiar to me. So, it, say like... how. Uh, it was. It's almost exactly the same thing uh, uh, with regards to Kalos and Worf and finding out that he's not the real Kalos and oh, Worf being like, you... "Listen, yes. you gotta pretend like he's the real one because otherwise Klingon society is gonna collapse." Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like if you, you know, yeah. I mean, it's it's the idea that if you, your myth can't be deconstructed. Right, or your, your, your propaganda people. has to live on for your society to be stable. That's just fascinating to me. Man, we could go on a whole religious take with that, right? I'm, mm-hmm. I'm totally leaving that one alone. But it's like, so basically his perspective as the lead Illyrian guy is we got to cover this up and no one can ever speak of it, right? I mean, that's that's basically what he's saying. You can't use mm-hmm. this as a defense. You can't use this to defend Una. We can't make this publicly known. We can't bring it to the Vulcans. We have to sit on it and, and just out of respect for the guy, because he's, a, you know, I don't know why. He doesn't seem like he's done anything to deserve our respect or cooperation. But Pike and uh, Spock are like, okay, there you go. We'll just do it. I don't like it, but I'm going to do it. And uh, and uh, we just need to, to do more. And he deletes his log, Pike does, right? He has a whole log of all of this stuff, and he actually deletes the log to help, uh, you know, a bet in the cover-up, which is crazy, right? So, you know, they basically defused and hid the truth bomb, right, which is crazy. And so then there's this whole thing there. Off they go, and it's just, it kind of makes you think that when the show comes back in season two, there's going to be absolutely no mention of this whatsoever. Right. Like you were talking about it, the opening up canon, but it's like, is it canon or is it pretend secret canon or what is it? Right. Because if they, if if they just sort of act like it happened, they're not going to act like it didn't happen 
because then that would be sort of acting like it did, right? If you know what I'm saying, right? They're gonna they won't have any sense of it at all. Like it never occurred, right? Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, I think I think the to... idea is that you that when they go to write these stories, when they go to write these four issue story arcs, their goal is to end where they began, so that anything can happen in between, and it doesn't really matter, right? Yeah, it's it's kind of weird because in some ways it feels like a cheat because it's like you you know it's kind of like a, a little bottle story that you you know you right. can't plug into the larger narrative of everything that we see. So I know you like what is it you say canon adjacent I guess right. So it's one of those things that just kind of exists in comic book land. But it's interesting. I mean, it's certainly well done. I thought I thought it was a very well written story, but it's just it kind of feel like. You, you, I, I guess I just found it a little frustrating as a reader to have it like, okay, we finally learned this huge secret, and it's a huge secret, Big. but we have to pretend it never happened. Yep. Yeah. You know, so I found that a little kind of like uh, it's like the spore drive all over again. Yeah, or like like you know, kind of like Worf having to pretend that the discommendation was real. Well, I think what right. we've yeah, no, you're totally right. And I think what we're the whole thing seeing, is like, you know, buying into a lie kind of thing. Yeah. It, just, it never fits well. I mean, do you think, Paul, that this is a um do you think that this is a modern how do I want to phrase this? A modern issue based on the fact that okay, this show has been around for fifty whatever it is, eight years. Um, there is so much established stuff that it's extremely um, honestly difficult to come up with new ideas. And so they have to, you know, bottle it. And now I know this is canon adjacent, but they have to kind of bottle these things so that they do fit into, I mean, I guess I'm trying to, I, we keep trying to draw a line between like old canon adjacent stuff and new canon adjacent stuff. And we say it's different because new stuff has the actual writers of the shows involved, but they're still not acknowledging it as canon. So you're right. 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 It's like in some ways it doesn't matter. It's just interesting. Right. It's just, it's just interesting. I mean, it's a fun like story. you, you, where it gets so, uh, it is rendered like you were saying, right guys, it's just, it's rendered so much like a show episode, right, with the dialogue. I mean, everyone speaks like the characters. It's really, you know, extremely well done. So you're kind of like, oh, okay. But wait, uh, uh. So it's kind of, they do an about face at the end, and it's just kind of like, would Pike ever delete his logs? I don't know. So I guess uh, it's just, it, it was an interesting, it was an ending, I guess, that I just didn't expect. Right? I think that's that's kind of the thing. So, mm-hmm. Still chewing it over, but, uh, but an interesting four-issue series, to be sure, I'm hoping that it's not a long way to get more uh, Strange New World comics, because I think there's a lot of cool stuff that could be fun to explore there. Well, I think that the Vulcans were always portrayed as dinks on Enterprise, if you remember. You know, they were they were spying well, yeah, on people. the on the Andorians at their religious uh, outpost, and you know, they were just they were dinks on Enterprise, and that was something that a lot of fans didn't like, was that they portrayed the Vulcans as dinks. So these particular Vulcans would be dinks as well, because they're pre, you know, they're, they're like pre-Enterprise. So they they're would, like, they would they're be, like, you know. They're like thousands of years earlier. It's, I can't remember what the time frame, but it, they say in that uh, Enterprise episode where they travel back in time, it's like 2,500 years or something. And, and tell me something. 
a smiling Vulcan is creepy as hell. <laughs> and don't you think? You would, <laughs> when a Vulcan is you, smiling, there's yeah. something going on that you, you probably should be, be aware of. Yeah, you expect <clears throat> them to be outsmarting you at that moment. <laughs> and, <laughs> and as I was reading this, I was thinking to myself, you know what would make this a thousand times better is when you turn the page and out of the darkness steps Cybok and he said, share your pain and releasing your pain will free you. And then he did his thing on the dink and that was it. It was over. He released his pain and that's why it's forgotten and Cybok goes off to find God. End of story and I would have been thrilled. Is that what you were hoping for, Jim? You were hoping for a Cybok tie-in here? With the uh, oh, ending of I'm season glad one, somebody would have been thrilled. <laughs> well, I mean, always... Cybok is out there. Cybok <laughs> lives. He's there. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's true. He does. He lives, and he's out there. Um, which I think they'll probably. Well, I certainly hope they deal with it in season two. And if, if they don't, they're going to disappoint. I think a lot of people who didn't, who wanted more than just a taste. Um, but. Uh, I kind of the other thing that I, I guess I just wanted to, to to say about this was that I the so yes everybody's being dinks to one another <laughs> you know here and there but the question you were asking um, Jim you know would or excuse me Paul was saying would Pike delete his log would he be the guy that would go along with the the ruse and you know delete his log. And here's kind of one of the issues that I have with the way that they wrapped this up here is that the entire ship knows what's going on. It's not like they've set up that somehow the commanding officers know and, you know, the rest of the people on the Enterprise don't know. There's a ship of 400 and some people here. Now, granted, um, most of them can be ordered to not say anything because maybe it's top secret or whatever, you know, label they want well, to put on I think they yep. did it in secret so that none of the crew knew what happened. So they knew I they went and that. they they yeah. did a discovery but they didn't tell them what happened on the ground and just saying nothing happened. Okay. I, I guess I guess maybe there's a way to make that happen, you know, people aren't looking out the windows seeing where they actually are. Um that kind of stuff. I guess I guess what I was saying was that, you know, the, my question is, hey, your question was, would Christopher Pike delete his log? I personally think that Christopher Pike is a captain who always puts people first. That's his thing, yeah. right? His his thing well, is like, I'm going to save people no matter what their scenario is. So to me, he is a guy who's going to do that because he will do it for the greater good. Okay. Uh, well, there's a, here's a question. Who, if this, If that secret were to get out, who would have hurt more? Yeah, the Illyrians it, yes. or the Vulcans? Oh well, good. That, well, that, that's a mark. That's a mark on the, the ancient yeah. Vulcans, but that's still a mark on the Vulcans as well. And that no, may right, not Charlotte. be something the Vulcans want to want discussed either. Yeah, dropping a genocide on an entire race of people that they didn't know about could be pretty heavy. Especially dealing with. Now we deal, they always deal with groups that have proven themselves to just like our prime directive. You don't deal with people that are pre-war. 
And yet this is the fact that they were dealing with the Illyrians. Illyrians were pre-warped. Uh, were they pre-warped at the time? I know they had less technology than the than the Vulcans had, but presumably Vulcans... I think they were, I think they were a I think the Vulcans kind of considered them an experiment. I don't think they called them as equals. Okay. I, certainly, the callous nature with which they leave the planet in a shambles yeah. is the most surprising part of this issue to me. Um, you just don't think of Vulcans doing that, and that was that was heavy. But yeah. then again, remember that Enterprise teaches us that ancient Vulcans nuke themselves. <laughs> and thank you, Surak, for pulling us out of that, right? Exactly. Yeah. The ancient, ancient Vulcans were very douchey Vulcans. Well, they were like humans. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> ancient Vulcans were essentially humans. <laughs> so, you know, I, somehow humans, uh, in all the Star Trek stories humans end up nuking themselves. I wish we could get away from that, but it it feels kind of like the way that at least the writers of Star yeah. Trek feel that we will eventually go. And I, it, do I you have to we have... Get past, we got to okay, get go past World War Three. Well, and that's the, I guess, you know, we have... I don't know. I, let's finish up the book because not, there's so many great, like, philosophical conversations I could dive into right now about, like where we're heading, but yeah. Charles, did you have anything else to say about this issue number four in particular? Uh, I like the last page where we get Uhura, Nurse Chapel, and I can't think of our pilot's name. Ortega. Uh, Erica Ortega's. Ortega. And the three of them are kind of talking. It's like, yeah, well... Something happened on Vulcan, but they won't admit to it. And we're going to be stuck having to go down to the planet and drink uh, foofy drinks with umbrellas under it. Oh. Like, why don't we stick around? Why don't we stick around and help with the work maintenance on the ship? Yeah, that sounds like fun. Hmm. But you get the you get to see the camaraderie between those three. And we've had that in this episode where you've gotten that camaraderie in there. Because these, the, these are the three that really, I think, were part of the big help to Pike. But these are some of the characters we really do like. We've really grown to like in the series very well. And I think I like that camaraderie between these three. And maybe that'll incite the fact that there's going to be a bigger friendship with that group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so interesting since we all just, well, uh, most of us have, you know, are either reading or currently nearing the end of uh, High Ground, which is a Strange New Worlds book. There's a lot of Uhura in that book, and there's no Ortegas, and there's no Chapel. And so nope. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little, I totally agree with you. I think this is a great trio, and I'd love to see more of the three of them hanging out. Um, yeah. But I'm, I'm a little like, I just read the book, and that doesn't happen at all. So, <laughs> well, I I got I just I enjoyed this comic. Like I said, the artwork was great, the characters are great, but I kind of I kind of feel like it was a, a bit of a cop out at the end. You know? Yeah, um, I mean, I could I could see where you're going with that, Jim. I, um, you know, the. Uh, 
as much as I love the big reveal and I love the story and stuff, there were Pike's thing is a little bit of a cop out. There's some storyboarding stuff that I just would have done differently um, in this book. You know, some big moments that aren't celebrated, some small moments that are. Um, you know, and and who am I? I mean, I'm I'm no professional comic book maker. I'm just telling you what I would do as a as a reader. You know, um, it's it's a great book that has great color, and like you guys were saying, everything really pops off the page. Like I I just I don't have anything bad to say about Charlie Kirchhoff's uh, work. The depth that he brings to these pages is really incredible. But uh, you want those splash pages. You want those moments where you get like the big view of the Enterprise or the, you know, there are no two-page spreads. You know, (laughs) give me a two-page spread of something that's really important. I don't know. Well, you remember when we read um, The Light of Kayla? Mm Mm-hmm. And we got the backstory of Kakuma mm-hmm. on Borath and the yep. whole thing. And even though uh, it did, that didn't actually happen on the episode, it fit right in. And when the way the story ended, you knew what was going to happen next because we saw the episode. So that whole story kind of, if you didn't read the comic book, it doesn't matter. But if you did, it just kind of, filled in a lot of what made Takuma end up where he was when we first see him. In this instance, you read these four books and you get to the end and then they pull the old, you know, Scooby-Doo ending on you and they pull off the mask and say, and the real bad guy is, and then they pull off the mask again and say, oh no, but those meddling kids, it's this guy instead. And then they say, oh, but wait, none of this ever happened. And that kind of left me like, well, what was the if you were going to do that? Did it bug anybody when that sort of same tactic was taken with? And I'm I'm just asking the question with Star Trek Discovery. You know, when they sent them into the future and they said the reason nobody knows about the spore drive is that it's it's gone. It's in the future. We needed to hide it from everybody. It's kind of a similar thing, right? They needed to hide it for safety, which I think is what they're doing here. Yeah. Could be. Well, and I so, think they, they also prevent us from doing any kind of reveal or teaser to what's going to happen in season two, episode one. We're not yeah. teasing anything going on with that, which makes sure that we don't get leaked anything going on. So it seems to me that, you know, back in the day, Starfleet was seen, like I'm talking TOS days, Starfleet was an allegory for the United States, right? And all of its enemies were allegories for uh, the United States' enemies at the time, whether it was the communists or whoever else. And um, they told the stories through the lens of the Federation is right and everybody else's ways are a little weird. And if you just come to the Federation – y'all will be okay. I feel like that's the story of TOS, right? It's a utopian future driven by uh, people who have infinite resources <laughs> and, and whose lives are kind of very easy. These days, we are getting into Star Trek that to me is a lot more complex and therefore a lot more interesting. So you have questions like, should Christopher Pike delete his log? Should and I, granted, this isn't new, but, you know, should Section 31 be a significant portion of well, 
the Federation. Questions like that are very interesting well, to me. And, let's and, let's do I, two. I, let's yep. Let's throw two big stories in there. Measure a man, Tuvix. Both. Yeah. Yeah. Both yeah, question well, question the final outcome. Yeah, I mean, definitely ones where the federate, you know, the federation kind of uh, brass in one case, and Janeway herself in another case had to make some some really tough decisions. But to me, mm-hmm. it's like it's DS nine when they when you start getting you know some of the decisions that Benjamin Sisko makes and some of the Section thirty one stuff that starts to happen in DS nine. Yeah. That's when you really start to get Starfleet that has a little bit of a dark underbelly that is not no longer completely. Utopia. I mean, there's no question Next mm-hmm. Generation explored some of those things, too. You know, uh, the drumhead. That's a great example of times when – Yeah, cons- yeah absolutely. Or any conspiracy mm-hmm. theory that happens on any of those episodes, right? <laughs> yeah. Evil yeah. admirals. you got to watch out for them. They're, yeah. they're, Evil they're admirals. Just... I guess what I'm saying is that these days uh, when people watch new Star Trek, I feel like some gangs are trying to – look to that utopian future and recapture kind of that like idealistic magic. And these days our Star Trek isn't giving us that these days our Star mm-hmm. Trek is giving us the stuff that is contemporary. That's complex that vexes every single one of us every single day, whether it's stuff happening in the news or whether it's people's identities or like any heavy topics like that. Um, it's doing what it's always done and things are just more complex than they used to be. Yeah. Well, Funny you should mention that because I'm going to be sitting in on a panel that deals with that very topic at Trek Long Island. I was asked to join a panel, and it's, it's, that's exactly what it's about. Star Trek in the 60s, TOS versus Star Trek today, and a lot of fans are of the opinion that Star Trek today uh, is too woke and is too political, and it hits you over the head with these things, whereas Star Trek never used to do that in the past. And that's just absolutely not true. It did it even more in TOS. They yeah. really they dulled it down. They really dumbed things down tremendously when, when we, we went to TNG and stuff. They really toned that down. And it wasn't until Discovery when they turned it right back up to a 10 like TOS used to do in the 60s. And I think a lot mm-hmm. of fans just, they either just don't want to see that or don't understand it or they feel insulted because their opinions and ethics and values are being challenged. Well, but Jimmy, got to look at the, there. it's the times in which the shows were made, right? Like the, That's right. the Star Trek of the 60s had something to prove. Star Trek of the 90s and 2000s wanted to continue what was going on, but wanted to do it in a way that um, that is uh, palatable, I guess, um, you know, for, for people who are generally, I, yeah. I think they wanted to push a little more utopia in the legacy. So the legacy, I think what they call the legacy series right now, which is, TNG, DS9, Voyager, Enterprise, the legacy shows. I think they were trying to do a little more underlying of some of the moral episodes, whereas the newer ones were bringing back out and kind of bringing them a little more on the forefront. 
Well, and so speaking about the times in which they were made, you know, things were sort of chill, like basically kind of going, yeah. you know, differently in the 90s and 2000s. And now, now you guys has not the poop hit the fan really hard over the last few years. And so to me, the way that they're making Star Trek these days is the same way that they make anything these days. Like yeah. you look at any television show and there are more bullets, there's more sex, there's like marijuana has a higher THC content. Uh, there's like, everything is just like opiates. Da, 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 da. Everything's really big and really strong. This is the United States world that we live in. Everybody is shouting all the time and hoping to get somebody to listen to them. And I'm not saying that that's what Star Trek's doing. I don't think it's shouting. But what I'm saying is that in order to be heard over the cacophony of crap that's out there, you have to speak a little bit loudly yeah. to make your point. And that's what Star Trek's doing these days. Well, you got to well, reflect I what think... society's, how it's, uh, society's reacting to their culture. Yeah. I think that in in the Strange New Worlds premiere episode, Strange New World, when Pike is on that planet and he shows those people the clip from January 6th. Yeah. And right there. Mm -hmm. That's that's, heavy, dude. That's a heavy-duty statement that a lot of people would be offended by. And because that's Star Trek taking a stand and making a statement, that Gene Roddenberry did in the sixties with just about every episode, mm-hmm. um, you know, like people forget this, but this is something I'm going to talk about at Trek Long Island. The very fact that Ohura was on the bridge in every episode was, was a huge political statement in the sixties, huge civil rights were, were running rampant down South. And to have her on the bridge of a starship in every episode was about as big as a political statement as you could ever, ever make. Mm-hmm. People today forget that. They, well, they don't. If, well, I was just going to say, you want, and Jim, you know, that has to do with civil rights and, and people and that stuff. But they also did uh, the environment, you know. I mean, you get uh, episodes from TOS like um, The Mark of Gideon or The Paradise Syndrome. They both deal with environmental topics. You get in the next generation and you get things like Force of Nature where they learn they have to slow down warp or they destroy subspace, you know. So there's a lot of things that I think people would consider, quote, political that just have to do with like human beings getting along while they they survive next to one another, (laughs) you know. Yeah, and I, I don't think that I, I don't think that uh, it's really that different from what it used to be. People well, are different. Jim, I think one episode you might want to throw in for TOS, and this surprisingly this was a season three episode. But let this be your last battlefield. Yeah. Don't tell me that was a direct issue with the uh, race. Race race issues of the sixties. Yeah, there, there, it, I think that people that that are that are born today and that are here today don't don't see those things the same way we did, having been through them. And I think that's them, what that's it is. Just, Jim. You know, you're totally you right. Know. When people watch Star Trek 
it really helps to have been in the context of that time. And while when I watched TOS, I absolutely wasn't in the 60s, right? I wasn't alive yet. I tried to watch it with that in mind, with all my knowledge of the 60s in mind. And I think that's really important when people watch Star well, Trek. You should put yourself in the mind frame of the time in which that show was made. And, you know, some people will argue, oh, TNG is timeless, uh, you know, DS9 is No. When you really look at them, none of those shows are timeless. They all have good themes, but none of them are timeless. No. And, and, you know, I hear this complaint all the time about Discovery. And I say, you know what? People are going to look back at Discovery the same way they look back at DS9 or or any other Star Trek show. And they're going to see that as a product of when it was produced. And then they're not going to be watching it through hate-filled eyes uh you know homophobic eyes and and they're going to look at it in a different light and they're going to realize what was really there you know because it's not so fresh it's not like pouring salt on an open wound you know well and something i'll throw out there is why was tng kind of calming down as it it got longer into it but it was also a fact that in our own culture, the Cold War ended. The Cold War was gone. We didn't have – we were growing up in the 60s, 70s, 80s with the Cold War. And all of a sudden, that was gone. And we didn't have those same fears at the time when Star Trek Next Generation really was getting their peak. Yeah. No, you're right. I, I think that's I think that's right. I I would agree with that. That that's why you mm-hmm. know. But I also think that, and I've said this before, but I also think that a, a big driving force between you know, on TNG was the fact that um, Rick Berman wanted to make money on advertising, and you can't do that if you shake the tree too much. You right. have to kind of you got to stay in the middle. You can't go and diverge too much because you might lose advertisers. And oh, you know, you know, a great example of that uh, is ab- Jim is absolutely the episode, the Next Generation episode, The Outcast, right? That's the one that we were just talking about. Uh, Paul was just bringing it up. He's having some tech issues and actually can't get his voice online here, but he was just bringing it up, and we talked about it last week. That's the one where um, there is a uh, androgynous race, you know, person who falls in love with, um, with Riker and um, Jonathan Frakes originally wanted that person to be played by a male. And in the end, the person, the gender neutral person was played by a female because there was going to be a kissing scene and they wanted to make sure that Riker was kissing a woman because they didn't want to shake the tree too much. Yeah. And that. To, 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 and in my opinion, when we let when when the producers of the show let that interfere with the show, that's when you have a problem. I don't think yeah. back in the '60s, I don't think Gene Roddenberry cared about that. I really don't. I, he wrote the, he did the stories the way he wanted, and if 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 right. <laughs> a horror kissing Spock pissed off a bunch of people. That's, they'll deal with it. And that wasn't Spock. That was, well, think about him. I mean, him. Kirk. Kirk. I'm Kirk, sorry, yeah. when Kirk, yeah, Kirk. 
you know, that's that's your problem. That's not my problem. Uh-huh. That's that's your problem. You need to deal with that, not me. And I think that got lost as Star Trek went on because of what you're uh-huh. saying, right? It's in there, advertising dollars and upsetting people. And I, I think now that Discovery, now that Star Trek is streaming and not relying on advertising dollars, we can have shows like Discovery. Yeah. Because we, the fans, you and I, are determining the future of Star Trek by subscribing to Paramount. And as long as they see those subscriptions there, they're going to keep doing it, you know? Yeah, right. But uh, let's be careful, Jim, because I think the way that that's manifesting nowadays, and we actually talked about this the other day, was, um, you know, uh, uh, Picard Season 3, fan service, you know, was – was fan service such a large part of season three simply because they wanted to get um, more subscribers? They wanted to pull in that nostalgia factor, you know? I, I think I think they did, and I, I think that things like – it might not be commercials. It might not be, um, you know, in the same format, but I do think that numbers of subscribers at a minimum is a uh, – is a metric that a lot of these channels like Paramount Plus are paying attention to. And if it means that we can create a bunch of plot holes but give you plenty of fan service to sort of gloss over it, we're going to do it. And I I, I guess the question at that point becomes, um, uh, I had, uh, Picard season three is really, um, uh, it's a it's a double edged sword for me. Yeah, it's it, it is a big one. As much as I loved it, and the, God knows I did. I was on the edge of my seat. I love. I mean, I loved War. I just I was right there. Me and my wife loved because we were there for the original and we loved it. But on the same at the same exact time that I loved it, I'm I'm thinking to myself, how could anybody that writes Star Trek and for a show ignore every single thing that was developed in the first two seasons of the show and throw it all out the window and ignore it? And how can so many fans be okay with them doing that? And that's where my issues come in with season three. I loved it. I thought it was great and and I enjoyed it, but at the cost of the integrity of the show. And, and I hope that this is the only time they do that because if, if, they continue to do things like that. My opinion of Star Trek might change. Yeah, I'll agree with you kind of with that, Jim, that they need to kind of do, if you're going to do something in season one and season two, on to season three, let's just acknowledge that it occurred, not just skip over it because it doesn't quite follow the storyline they want to put together for that episode for that season and one of the one of the things that i i keep jumping on facebook um fans keep bringing these things up and they keep saying well terry metallis explained that on twitter why that happened and terry metallis explained why this happened <laughs> right and terry metallis said this one was here and that one was there and the reason why this happened was because of this and we were going to have that one show up, but we couldn't afford it. And we were going to do a scene with this one, but they weren't available. 
And I say to these people, here's my, you're making my point for me. If the writer of the series has to go on social media and explain and justify what they did and tell you what happened, they failed in their job as a writer because those questions should be there for me as a fan to find. And if, I, if someone on social media has to say, oh, no, no, what really happened was this, but we couldn't do it, then the show didn't, didn't come across with what it should have. That's, um, that's so, Jim, my so I, I don't want to dig into it anymore because we're at the end of the show, but I think the Internet has a lot to do with that because nowadays we all watch the show, and then the thing we do afterwards is we jump on the Internet and we think we go and see what everybody else has to say about it, and we try and dig deep into the canon as deep as any Internet sources will, will allow us to. And I just think that's a unique thing these days. It is, it is unique. It, it, it is. But if you're going to have a movie or a TV show, and as the writer of that series, you feel it necessary to go on social media and explain yourself and tell fans, this is why Borgardi wasn't involved. Um, this is where Elnor was. This is what happened to Laris. This is what happened to Soji. This is, and you have to explain to the fans what happened to these storylines that you ignored. You didn't do your job as a writer. That's just my opinion. Um, it should have been there and explained, and it wasn't. But you know what? You're right. We're getting off track, um, and we're out of time. <laughs> so I hate to drop it like that, but we do. Um, I've got to get to bed because i got to get up early. i got a long, long day ahead of me. So I want to say uh, thank you so much to Ray for calling in from the Bronx, and I'm so glad that you enjoyed Strange New Worlds Blu-ray Season 1, Ray, and uh, it's great to have you as a fan and a follower of our show. Thank you so much to Ray from the Bronx. I also want to say thank you to our very own Paul, um, who's having technical difficulties and dropped out. And, Paul, I feel your pain because it happened to me at the beginning of the show when the neighbor turned on their blender. Kicked me right off. So I get it, and that's cool. But thank you so much for hanging out with us. Anyways, Paul, it was great. And thank you so much to Eric for hanging out and picking up the torch when my neighbor's blender went on and kicked me off. So thank you so much, Eric. Absolutely. I have enjoyed this podcast for so many years, and I love talking to you guys. I look forward to every single Thursday. So thanks all bunch. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VDW Group. No purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.